0: Okay, everybody, Parsha Tetzaveh, a quick recap of the parsha. right, Kosh Baruch tell, commands Bnei Yisrael to take oil for the menorah, and then we dive immediately into the Big Day Kahuna, the efo, the Choshen, right, the, the Me'il, the Tzitz, right, all the other stuff, regular Kohanim's clothing, uh, we, we dive straight into that, we have a lengthy discussion about how to inaugurate the Kohanim uh, with Korbanos, etc., uh, when the Mishkan will be built. Uh, and then we, as I said, we end off with uh, the Mizbach Hazav, right, the Mizbach that they used uh, to burn the Ketodes. And then obviously this week's Parsha is Parsha Zacher, but that's not really so relevant to the Parsha. Hard to go without mentioning Parsha Zacher, so we'll do that at the end. But first, Parsha's Tetzaveh. So what's, uh, a couple of vortlach on Parsha's Tetzaveh, again, underratedly uh, pretty powerful stuff. Uh, as I didn't mention last week, because we didn't do a Shiran Shuma, uh, but the Mishkan in general, uh, has some fascinating imagery. And if it's well, again, I feel like very often these partials get uh, shortchanged because it's a lot of technical stuff and it's quote unquote boring. Um, and plus, you're in the middle of, you know, Purim season. So, like, you know, I feel like these partials don't get the, the love they deserve, except for Kisiza, which obviously you have the Eagle Azov. So, people, right, now obviously talk about that a lot. But uh, there's so much beautiful imagery in in the in the in the mishkan that I very very much encourage you to kind of dive into it and see what uh, what you can find. But let's mention a couple of things, uh, Shai specifically to the parsha. Uh, first of all, the medrash the beginning of this week's parsha. There's a beautiful medrash at the beginning of the parsha. The Torah says that obviously at the beginning of the parsha. You command, Bnei Israel. By the way, this is the only parsha after Moshe's birth that does not mention mention Moshe. Uh, by name, or that he's not talking, right? right. Obviously, all Sefer and Moshe is talking. Uh, so, there's a whole discussion about why that is true. I will mention that at the end. But, Hashem tells Moshe, please command B'nei Yisrael, Please take for yourselves some olive oil, right? That is, uh, that is crushed, right? In order that you can light uh, the Menorah. The Medrash Koshir Pazigin Yirmiyahu says, "Perkiyot Alef." Says that Zayit Ranan Yafeh Pritor Kar Hashem Shmeich. The Kosh Baruch called Bnei Israel Zayit Ranan. They called Bnei Yisrael right, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful olive, Yafeh pritoar right, a beautiful fruit. Bnei Israel are compared uh, to an olive, and why is that? Says the Medrash, because if you mix any two drinks together, right, any drinks in the world, any liquids, right, they will blend together. And there is no way to distinguish one liquid uh, from the next. Okay, obviously, you get a bartender who really knows his stuff. Okay, fine. But all the liquids in the world, you mix orange juice and water. You mix, uh, I don't know, milk and uh, coffee. I don't know, whatever. Any drink, any liquid, you mix them together, they're going to create some sort of uh, potion. But oil with any other liquid, that always ends up with the oil at the top. That always ends up with the olive oil at the top. And as such, bnei Israel are compared to olives. Right when they're doing bnei Israel's will, right says the maggid, then they rise to the top. Right, no matter what nation they get mixed up with, right during their long exile. Right, if they're doing what they want so then they always rise to the top. Asks Rav Sinai Adler, who is a rav in, uh, in Mivosaret, who is a rav of the Israeli Kol over there, uh, famed Holocaust survivor. You who know, was nifter a couple of years ago. So in his sefer for Sinai, he asks a great question. He says, "Veseder, wonderful. Oil rises to the top." Right, of any drink, and they're okay, very nice. Bene compared to olives and whatever it is, very fantastic. The problem is, Bene Israel are not compared to olive oil. Right, Bene Israel are compared to olives. Right, you ever put an olive in a drink? Right? So I don't know about all liquids, but uh, you ever see the old James Bond movies? Right, martinis have olives in them, they are not floating on the top, the olives sink to the bottom. Right, so the Medrash right, was not exactly accurate when it says you mix the bnei doing shalmakom. they always rise to the top. The bnei compared to an olive, a zayit not zayit shemen. In the Puzzle. So, what's the deal with that measure? So, Rev. Adler says, or Sin Adler says, he answers based on his own uh, life experiences, no doubt, uh, and he explains that just like an olive is ground up and crushed to create olive oil, so too, unfortunately, Bnei Israel are crushed and ground up through their gullus, and only then does the olive oil come out. Uh, and in a Khanami, B'nai Israel come, on t- come out on top, but only after they get oppressed and the- afflicted and subjugated uh, by the going. But I thought, perhaps, Right, that we can answer a little differently based on uh, the end of the Medrash. Right, again, notice again, remember what the Medrash said. It does not say that the Jews always rise to the top. Right, it's the Medrash made a, made a caveat. Right, it said that only when Ben Israel do Hashem's rachzon, right, and keep the Torah, then they rise to the top. Whatever nation, right, they're involved with, and maybe that's exactly the point. That if Ben Israel are doing Hashem's will, right, then they're compared to the finest product of the olive. The ultimate product of the olive is its oil. Right, which rises above any other, you know, comparable substance. But if the Jews are keeping, you know, the Torah in the midst of any other culture, so then they'll rise to the top. But if they're not, chas so then they're compared to the olive itself, right? Which is untapped potential, if you will, and that will sink whenever mixed uh, into any drink, implying that Rechmah if we don't, you know, kind of keep the Torah, as then Bnei Yisrael will end up sinking to whatever. Uh, to the bottom of whatever culture they're with. And certainly, certainly, unfortunately, right nowadays, uh, it has uh, relevance. Uh, it seems like an everlasting gullus, right? Even in Eretz Yisrael nowadays, right? Unfortunately, uh, we have, uh, you know, the Go'eshek cultures that are all around us, right? And and very often we are not, myself included, we are not necessarily keeping the Torah uh, as we should, right? And, and as Kosh Baruch promises us that Eretz Yisrael, we will get, the z'chuz of getting Eretz Yisrael is through keeping the Torah, right? If you keep the Torah, right, so great. If you don't, right, if you contaminate the land, the land will spit you out. So, Mitzvah, we shall be uh, we should realize that that's the reason why we have these tzatzlachas. and certainly when it's driven home by terrorism and all that type of stuff, right? Again, try. These are reminders for us to remember why we're zocher Israel uh, and why we're zocher uh, to survive and thrive in Godless. Right? It's only through the Torah, it's not because right we figured out some magic. You know way to to assimilate into cultures and you know if we become uh, american russian german bulgarian whatever it is they're going to accept us no it's exactly the opposite uh that whenever we kind of like feel ourselves sliding into the cultures that's when akash bar unfortunately pushes uh, pushes the issue. Okay, what was the purpose of the Big Day Kahuna? Right? Again, the whole entire Parsha, not the entire Parsha, but much of the Parsha talks about the Big Day Kahuna. What was the purpose of the Big Day Kahuna? So, and, as the Raman points out, in clay clay McDush, there are a lot of halachos. I'm not sure if you know, but a lot of halachos with the Big Day Kahuna. It had to fit, and right? they couldn't be worn, they couldn't be dirty. Worn isn't like, worn out. It right? couldn't be dirty. But right? you had to go there the while wearing the Big Day Kahuna. The question is, what's the point? Right? What was the point? So, as you might imagine, the purpose of clothing right, has twofold, is more or less twofold. First of all, right, the Hymic right, the Nitzv, writes that Bnei should see the going Gadol and also the Kohanim and realize that they are elevated. Right? They, they realize that they are elevated above Kalei Yisrael, that Akash Baruch chose the Gohanim, right? Then Bechorim had their choice. Right, the v'choros, v'choros. Right, they had their choice, right? the firstborn had their choice, their chance, and they, they blew it by the Egele, Akash Baruch who lifted up Shevet Levi, right? and specifically Aron's children, that the Kohanim. So they should see that they are an elevated state, that these are extra holy people, and they're doing the holy abode based on Mikdash, or the Rabban, along the same, along the same veins. Right? That, uh, fascinating, but uh, that, that Akash Baruch the Rabban writes, modeled the big day kuna after what was royally fashionable at the time, Right, that these people should look like princes, they should look like kings, right? that you should have a certain impact on the viewer, I meaning that the big diguna are for the people looking at them, and they should be affected, right? If you go to the Beis There's some people walk around in flip-flops and board shorts, so obviously it would not create the same vibe as if you walked around and saw people wearing, you know, all these beautiful uh, bigotas. So that's that's first of all that that the clothing affects people who are looking at the wearer, right? and therefore the kohanim had to have special clothing that would show them in a regal state. Because Perneshaw, again, they're going to come to Beit not Can you imagine you come to Beit Hamidrash, offer your korban, and the dude's chilling there with uh, I don't know a hookah and some sunglasses? Obviously, it's not not appropriate. So we have to have proper clothing so that the the vibe and the ambiance and the proper respect would be had would be shown right from the people who are viewing them. The Chinuch, interestingly enough, in Mitzvah Tzadik Tes, points out that the opposite is also true. And this is the other possibility, is that man is affected by what they wear. Right? People are affected by the clothing that, that are on them. Right? And you needed, therefore, specific clothing for the temple service, for the Avodim Right? to make, not for the people necessarily, but for the kohanim, for the kohanim to focus and realize, you know, realize in front of who you're standing, where you're standing, um, and, uh, and so they could boot for themselves, to do the Avoda, to shach the Corbanos, to do all the other types of things they had to do, right? With the proper COVID Roche, with the proper sense of respect. And the musser, for us is that we have to be aware of both of these things in terms of what our clothes do. Meaning, often we don't really think about clothes in this way. Right? We think about style, fashion. What are people going to say about us? Maybe we're trying to impress certain people. Right? Certainly, when we're teens or early twenties, we're definitely trying to impress other people with our clothing. But we don't think about the actions that come about as a result of our clothes. Right? We don't. Again, we we, we have certain sensibilities. Right? We realize that we don't wear a bathing suit to a wedding. Right? Okay. Right? That that makes sense. Uh, and you don't wear, wear a tuxedo to the beach. But it's not because right? usually we don't do that because we're going to get laughed at. But the real reason we probably shouldn't do that, and the real reason that uh, you know we should have some sort of respect uh, to for you know let's say a chasna or for davening or whatever it is, is because we act a certain way depending on how we are dressed. Right? We act, let's say, if you're dressed nicer, you act more refined. If you're dressed down, you act more relaxed. That has an impact on us. Uh, and that's and the impact of. Our clothing on us and also on other people, right? That also should be a driving factor in terms of how, how we dress. This is similar to, a word on last week's Parsha, right? We didn't give a shear, so I got to slip something in, right? Uh, last week, we talked about building the Aron. So the Puzzle says right, that the Aron was made out of, which should be covered inside and out with gold. Right, it should be gold, wood, gold. That's how they, Taklas Rashi explains it. They made made the, I don't know, they had three boxes. They had, they had a golden box. They put it inside the wood, and then a little, like, kind of like one of those babushka dolls, right? The one a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller. So they had gold, wood, and then gold. And the Gemara in Yuma, Define base, right, Darshan's out the Pesukim over there. I mean, from to panu, from inside and out, has to be like gold. <coughs> so Rav says, Kol that anybody, any Gemara in any that who's inside, is not like his outside, uh, is is not a Talmud right? And the Gemara and Baruchos, and the Ches, right? Gamliel said that as well, right? That he didn't want to let anybody, even a didn't into the base membership, he wasn't talking to borrow fine. So I thought for many years, many, many years, until like last week, <laughs> that that meant, don't be fake, Talmud, Talmud can't be fake, right? It says got to be like, he's outside, right? Don't be fake. Says Rebbe de Miller, that's not what it says. Read it again. It says, it doesn't say, borrow Ketohem. It doesn't say that a Tom Hockum needs to have his outside matches inside. Like, can you imagine if our outside matched our inside? Like we, if we always said whatever we thought, if our outsides matched our insides, that would be a disaster. Right? No, it's your inside has to match your outside. In the sense that sometimes and a person a person has to fake it because our outsides right, have an impact on how we think and how we act. Right? Sometimes you know, you're not in the mood to learn, or to learn hard, or to daven with kavana, or be so besimcha. your friend simcha, if you're in a bad mood or whatever. But if you fake it, right? you give a fake smile, right? you go, you go to davening and try and go through the motions, what you do on the outside has a hashpa, has an influence on your insides. So Tamachacham says Rava, has to know what to put on a show. Right, went to fake whatever he's involved in he's got to fake the learning if he's not in the mood he got up he has a headache whatever he's got a fake he's got to put a fake smile on a chasana a simcha whatever to dr- and that will drag his insides along for the ride and get his insides to change right like the messiah sharm says right that uh, in peric zion right that the outside drags along the inside so clothing is a part of that right it's not only the fake smile or, you know, the way you carry yourself and what you talk about. Right? It's the way you dress has a real impact on how you feel, how you think, how you act. Right? If a, if a, if you're dressed not, sniss, so you're gonna think you're not sniss. If you dress formal, you're gonna think formal. Right? What do you wear to Davening? Right, showing up in flip flops and Adidas track pants. Right, creates a different davening than if you show up in dress, shoes, and slacks, right? That's the clothing. It said the clothing makes the man. Well, I don't know if the clothing makes the man, but it, the clothing makes the person wearing the clothing think and act differently. And that's part of the whole the whole word of the Aron. right? And it's something that we have to think about when we put on clothes, not only because they're fashionable and what other people will think about us, but how the clothes will lead us uh, to act. Okay, uh, let's talk about one of the uh, one of the, the actual big day Kahuna specifically, uh, just because you know might as well get uh, you know get a vort on the actual clothing and then we'll we'll jump to parsha Zohar. Right. The, there's an interesting description this description rather uh, of the ephod. Right. The ephod was. Uh, the, the robe, I guess, not really the robe, I don't know how, to, how you translate uh, the or well, whatever. Uh, part of the uh, whole uh, Koen Gadol's ensemble over there, uh, including the khoshen, etc., the meal, whatever. So the aphod is probably, you know, that's just to, to illustrate, it was it was like, a had like straps, uh, and then like a wrap wraparound kind of thing on the bottom, Maybe you attach the, the, the Hoshen. Okay, so basically the bottom of the aphod had these alternating bells and pomegranates on it, uh, pammon verimmon, pammon Uh and again similar. If you you need an, a modern day equivalent, you can see like a talus, If you ever see a talus like one one side of the talus is kind of like twisted in these like kind of cute little I don't know bell slash pomegranate type things. So again, that that it had, on the bottom of the afoad was the bells and pomegranates. So points out of Melech or Melech Biederman says the pasuk says interestingly right, again that you had the the order was bell pomegranate bell pomegranate right the alternating bells and pomegranate's obviously it wasn't an actual pomegranate just to be clear it was the cloth or the threads were tied into a pomegranate kind of like the talus and then you had actual bells right that little kind of dingling so that people would hear right when the coin Gadol uh, was coming so pa- Rav Melech points out the very fascinating lotion right in the posic posic says pomonisa zahav bisocham that you had these golden pomegranates, and the golden bells in between them, saviv, and it says also. In Parsh, that's in our Parsha, parshin. Parsha Pakude also. When they made the big dagan, it says we knew pamonim al Right outside of the meil, right again uh, on the fringes of the meil, right. Um, you put the pamonim beso Charimonim. Right? And it means between the rimonim. but what's besoch? Well, what's betocham and besoch also can mean in, inside. Like, it's obviously wasn't inside. Right? It's a very strange way to phrase it. It should have said bane, right, between the rimonim. right? Alternating or some other phrase. What's besocham? What do you mean inside? So, Ramelech quotes the Alshech. Alshech has an unbelievable shot. He says that the bell and pomegranate represent speech and silence. Right? Bells obviously make noise obviously they have a clapper inside, right? So he says that that's comparable to a mouth with a tongue. Right? a bell is, if you can imagine. A bell, right? You've been to the Liberty Bell probably. Right? It has a has a clapper inside, that thing that makes noise, it swings back and forth. So that's the tongue, right? And the mouth is like it's like an open mouth with a tongue inside. Pomegranates obviously are filled, they don't they don't make noise, right? As opposed to the hollow bell, right? They don't they don't make noise. So the Torah is coming to hint that the pomon should be inside the pomegranate, that the bell should be inside the rimon, right? Meaning the speech should be inside silence. I mean, the silence should be the majority. Silence should be the overarching right, entity. And, and should, the silence should be more than speech. I mean, again, similarly, Ramelech points out that a person is given one mouth and two eyes to say that he should only say half of what he sees. Right, he should only say. Person should, should not say everything, uh, comment on everything he sees. He should speak about only half of what he sees. Right, which basically means in Aramaic right, that uh, a word with a coin, right, in silence, so worth two. Right, long story short, um, that uh, it's better to be silent, um, and therefore it would make sense that the me'il. Right, it makes sense that the me'il, the robe. Right, did I say the afor? No, it was at the, the pomegranates or at the end of the me'il. So the, the me'il is which w- what you had the bells and whistles. Right, the bell, the bells and pomegranates. Rather, right, that is says the Gemara in Erkin, is mechapar for hara. Is mechapar hara. Now we we have to realize that again. Just nowadays um, we talk so much, and if we're not talking, we're texting, and that counts. By the way, we're communicating so much. Right? And, and the, just the f- concept of silence, right? silence is so awkward nowadays with all the music and noise and TV and radio and, and uh, podcasts and uh, streaming music and all. If there's no nothing going on, if there's no noise, there's no talking, right it, People get awkward, and I mean like if they're not all clued on on their phones. Obviously, nowadays, the mo- most human interaction everybody just sitting on a bus watching their phones or whatever. But I mean like if there's nothing else going on, if there are two people hanging out and there's silence, it gets awkward. Silence is not awkward. Silence is, is valuable. Silence is better than talking. You don't need to fill the air with idle chatter, as they call as they translate in the art school. You don't need to just talk for the sake of talking. Right? Talk for for good reasons, but just talk for don't talk for the sake of talking is silly. I and mean, that's one one of the the what the, the Torah is trying to get at that the pa'mon should be beso harimon that the pa'mon should be inside of the the loud one the noise should be inside of the silence that the silence should be more. Uh, and Ramelech points out that you see this elsewhere in the parsha as well. This whole idea that speech is has to is has to be measured is is important is valuable and has to be thought about. And he says. Because, again, as, you, as we pointed out, Moshe's name doesn't appear anywhere in the Parsha. The Balaturim right, famously writes that this is because Moshe said, no by the Chita Eagle, Moshe was trying to argue for B'nai Yisrael to uh, be spared. And Moshe, one of the things Moshe said to Hashem was, if you destroy the Jews, then erase me right, from uh, this book that you wrote. Right? Again, it's absurd. So, so obviously that didn't happen. But the Gemara Mako says, the Gemara Mako Stafir Aleph says that Killos Chacham Afilu Al Tanai Ba That if a curse of a Talmachacham or the curse of a tzaddik, even if it's unconditioned, right? I'm cursing you on condition that uh, you know if you. If you don't give me a hundred bucks, I'm cursing you. Uh, if the guy gives him a hundred bucks, he wouldn't expect the curse to come through. But says the Gemara that the curse is going to come true even if the Tanai is not fulfilled. So same thing over here. Moshe said, if you destroy the Jews, erase me from the Torah. Well, Hashem obviously didn't destroy the Jews, so he probably shouldn't erase him from the Torah. But it was still miskayim. It still happened in a certain way. Right? How did it manifest itself? It manifested by the fact that Moshe is not found in Parshas Tetzaveh. So the Shachal of Torah explains that this is the hidden meaning of a Tetzaveh bnei Yisrael. You, Moshe, Tetzaveh bnei Yisrael, go command bnei Yisrael. Says Ramelech, how much a person needs to be caref- careful with their speech because Moshe said that he was arguing, right? But but it came true, right? Things that we say, right, have a power that we don't even realize. Obviously, we talked about Lashon Har before. We don't need to elaborate so much, but realize the things that your words do. Realize that silence does not necessarily have to be awkward. Uh, it can be valuable, uh, and don't just speak just for the sake of speaking, because inevitably that, leaves some t- that leads to some sort of lashon hara, etc., etc.